And good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like you to think of a special day that occurred in your life, just for a moment. Uh, You don't have to share it with anyone. Uh, And just think about that special day Uh, and how you felt about that special day. Perhaps it's the day that you met the Lord. Perhaps it was the day you got married. Perhaps it was the day you graduated high school, Uh, college, or something along those lines. You got your first car, your first job. Those are always special days, and we always think about in terms of life in days. You know, in the spirit of, I know this is summertime, I'm supposed to be casual, and this is really against everything that I have ever been. (laughs) My mother is having a a little bit of a coronary back there because I took my jacket off, but uh, it's summertime, so I'll I'll play along. as you know, I'm a former educator. I retired last uh, June. Uh, I, most of my education career was in actually administration over 25 years. But I taught social studies for over 10 years, and some of the greatest years I had was teaching high school students. And um, I have to admit, and I, it, it, it came to me, and again, this is through the Holy Spirit, I was thinking about when I was teaching, there were times I would find out that you know the kids had no idea what I was talking about. I would assign some reading, or I would assign some homework, and they had no idea what I was talking about. And then, you know, it would bother me. And I started to say this. It became my mantra. The day is coming. (laughs) And they'd look at me with these dumbfounded faces, even more dumbfounded when, when I was talking about, you know, something like FDR or the New Deal or something like that. And they'd, I'd say to them, the, folks, the day is coming. And then, of course, you know, they played along. They said, uh-oh, pop quiz, guys, here it comes. Uh-oh, surprise test. Uh, we're not getting one of those special projects you like. Uh, they would say things like that. Are we getting extra homework? Are you calling our parents? And then the best one, I'd always have somebody that would raise their hand in the back and, they were, and say, do I need this class to graduate? <laughs> do I really have to do this? Well, I played a trick on some of these kids uh, one time, because what I told the kids was that I was planning a special trip for them. And then, what happens when you say that to someone, your special trip, a special place? What happens is all kinds of questions. Really? Where are we going? When are we leaving? Um, What what kind of a place are we going to? Um, What time are we coming back? Are we getting lunch, or do we have to bring lunch? Um, And then the best one, they always used to say this, Please, no parent chaperones, you know. But the, the truth of that was I actually played a trick on them because what I did was I did an in-house field trip with these same kids. And I took them to the lobby of Raleigh High School, and in the lobby of Raleigh High School, there's this metal placard there, you know, that's built in. The, and we were talking about uh, the time of uh, the Depression and some of the... Uh, projects and some of the programs that FDR uh, put into place, and it was... It's actually, it was built during the, the days of the WPA, and for those of you who remember your history, Work Project Administration, and there it was. And then I went on and started to talk about it, and here we are in the lobby, and I could see some of these kids like, all right, so when are we leaving? I said, no, no, this is the trip. This is what I'm talking about. Um, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about, this few weeks, we've been talking about the heart of Paul in First Thessalonians. And I, I guess the best way to put it is, there is a day coming. There is a day coming. You know, if you take a look at the first five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, at the end of each of the chapters, there is a reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in every, every single one of them. And I think that there was probably an extensive amount of interest uh, for the Thessalonians in eschatology, or it's from the Greek eschaton, which means end times, or uh, end events, or last things. And they had some serious questions about it. And like today, there's an interest in prophecy, and Paul attempted to, to warn them, to exhort them, to encourage them, to inform them about some end-time events. Um, he already spoken to them, and Stephen uh, addressed it last week, in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, which is the rapture of the church. What happens if a person dies before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back? And he addressed that question. And he spoke to them candidly about it. But then he switches, and he goes to something else in chapter 5. And he talks about another day. 
And that's, this day is not so hopeful in a sense because you know, we have the hope of the rapture. The Lord is, is, is coming for us. He's coming for the church, all, all true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming one day. This is a different day. This is a more dismal day. This is a more gloomy and doom, uh, gloomy day. It's, it's a day of doom. It's a day of, a day of destruction, and, and if I read some of the things in the Old Testament. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, let's think about this. Prophecy, end-time events, there's always an interest in, in some kind of end-time events. Um, someone's always curious about it, some more than others. And even those who are kind of aloof about end-time events, what's going to happen at the end of the world, when is the end of the world, there's always some interest. Some of you may recall the doomsday clock. Um, that was put into effect in 1947. It was actually formed by a group known as the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, and uh, what they did was they set a symbolic timepiece to measure how close we are to the end of the world. And, you know, considering the time and the peril that we live in today, I'm sure it's pretty close to 12, 12 midnight. In fact, I did a little research about it, and I found that in 2015, we were three minutes to 12. And it's, been, it's gone back and forth depending on certain um, historical events. Like when the Cuban Missile Crisis occurred in 1962, we were like a minute from 12 somewhere around there. When the Russians got the hydrogen bomb, we went from 12 minutes to, to uh, 12 to like two minutes to 12. So all depends on, uh, again, the historical events and people, of course, who set this particular clock. You know, everyone wants to predict, and there's soothsayers out there, and there's psychics out there, and there are all kinds of, pro pro I guess, uh, prognosticators that are out there. And even there are Christians who try to determine when Jesus Christ is coming back, and it can't happen. I want to give you a couple of examples, and these are some heavyweights, if you will, uh, leaders in the Christian faith. John Wesley himself said that he believed that the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, would occur in 1836. Didn't happen. Um, Charles Rus Russell, he was one of the founders, I believe, of the Jehovah Witnesses. He thought that... Um, the Lord would return in 1874. That didn't happen. Uh, how many of you were born in the year 1988 here? Anyone? Yes. <laughs> My daughter Christina, I remember it well. Well, there was a book that was published then, and it was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988 um, by Edgar Wisenot. Didn't happen. Some of us remember Harold Camping. Uh, Christian radio, family Christian radio. Um, he, uh, I should say, he was more, um, you know, the Christian family radio station. He would always talk about making predictions. And in fact, the last one was May of 2011, somewhere around there. And then there's John Hagee, uh, who's sometimes on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. He predicted that the uh, rapture, the, uh, the prediction of the Lord Jesus Christ to come back September 28, 2015. He called it the Blood Moon Prophecy. He took the fourth lunar eclipse, aligned it with Jewish holidays, and said, this is when, it's coming, when he's coming back. Well, that didn't happen. My favorite, though, is William Miller. Now, not because of what he said, but the date. William Miller predicted that the Lord would come back on October 22nd, 1844. And uh, his followers started the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the fact that he didn't come back was known as the Great Disappointment. Now, the reason why I like that is because Arminda and I were celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary, and we were wedded on October 22nd, and I just hope after all these years it hasn't been the Great Disappointment. <laughs> so you'll have to talk to, if, if, if you talk to her, ask her, because I'd like to know if it's been a, a Great Disappointment. But um, the return of Jesus Christ is, is written and talked about throughout Scripture. There's so many references, over 380 references in the Bible. And there's references, but the return cannot be predicted. In fact, Jesus said it himself. Matthew 24, 36. Disciples asked him privately, when will this happen? What will be the sign of the age, the end, uh, sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered quite emphatically. He said, but of the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father. Can't predict it. Um, we are going to speak about 
this day of the Lord, and here's some images of it. And if you take a look at it, um, I entitle this expectation or condemnation. The coming of the Lord, is something you're expecting? Is something you want to happen? Are you anticipating it, or will this be a coming condemnation for you because you're not ready? And so you have to answer that question. The day of the Lord is, what is it for you? And William McDonald had this quote, and I thought it was a great quote. And he said this, for true believers, the rapture is a coming hope. Well, what will it mean for those who are outside of Christ? What will it mean? And that, again, that depends on if you have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you received him as, as your Savior? As, as your savior? Has, is he the Lord of your life? And for those who are anticipating his return, it's a time of great expectation. For those who aren't, are not ready for it, it's great condemnation. Now, I don't know if you can see that, but if you take a look at this, you see that all the way to the left in green, you see rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, and then you see an arrow going up. Well, that's where Christians are going one day. Jesus is coming for his saints, for the church, and we'll, be, um, we'll meet him in the air. And if you take a look, there's the present day, and the day the Lord goes all the way through the millennium, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. And then you see in the middle this red area, tribulation. And that's from Revelation 6 through 18. Um, so just to give you a little idea about these end-time events and where we are, we are actually in something known as the Day of Grace right now. That's where we are. And so today I want to talk about First Thessalonians, just the first 11 verses, and the Day of the Lord. It's meaning, it's manner, in which it comes, in other words, the circumstances surrounding it. And finally, what's the message Paul has for us as we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? So we get to the meaning part, and I'd like to, let me just read 1 Thessalonians, the first 11 verses. Now, I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version. It says, now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons, and that means daughters too, sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who, are, those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Just, let's just pray. Father, we, again, we just give you thanks and praise for who you are and what you've done for us. And we thank you for your word. We ask, Father, just for this short time, if you would just uh, give us great insight into what you'll have us know about your great word and about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we are presently in the day of grace. And the day of grace, God has bestowed on us, has given us his matchless grace on us sinners, on we sinners. It is unmerited. We can't earn it. In fact, in Sunday school, the kids, and we always used to teach them, you know, grace, G-R-A-C, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what it is. But there's going to come a time when the gospel has reached every corner of the world, the gospel has reached every person that needs to be, it needs to be uh, reached, and then this age closes. And what happens next is the day of the Lord. In fact, some commentators, theologians believe that the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord is almost like a simultaneous event. And I could see that happening because once, these, once the church is, here, is, is gone, once Christians are gone, some people are going to be very happy about that, believe me. And you know what I'm talking about if you take a look at the news. But once we're gone... 
there's going to be mass chaos here. You know, because I can think about it. If you're a saved person, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are raptured out of here to meet the Lord. I say out of here. It's kind of like we're out of here. I don't mean it that way, you know. You might be driving your car, and you are no longer driving that car. Think about it. There might be a Christian that's, uh, you know, uh, I guess a conductor, you know, an engineer on a, on a train or flying a plane. In fact, years ago, I had heard something that uh, one of the airlines would never put a Christian with a non uh, two, uh, two Christians together. They'd always put a Christian with a non-Christian, that the co-pilot would always be, or the pilot would always, just in case, seriously, uh, you know, I, I don't know how true that is, but something I, someone had told me, and I kind of believe it, I could see it happening. You know, so, I mean, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be chaos here, so I can see that that might happen. Now, the day of the Lord, if you take a look at it, and we look at the first verse there, this is not a 24-hour period. This is God dealing with a sinful world, the individuals who make it up. This is a world that's ravaged by sin. There's wickedness on, of all kinds, imagined and unimagined. Um, and God is going to real, deal directly in judgment. He is no longer going to be behind the scenes. He is going to be on the scene. And this is a certain day of judgment that, that is coming on. Um, I think that, uh, I actually wrote this and I put this down. I found that you know, God will no longer be behind the scenes, but his wrath, his judgment will be seen and will be felt. Okay? So the expression, the day of the Lord, occurs often in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, there's over 30 um, direct or indirect references to the day of the Lord. Um, but if you take a look at that, and we'll talk about this in a second, it says, but now, and it, there's some Greek up there. You see that little phrase there, peridi, uh, but of, but, uh, or, but concerning, or now, depending on your translation. He said, but now, you know what that's, you know what Paul's doing there? It's a, it's a transition, a switch from the subject of what he just talked about, which was, the rapture of the church, now I want to talk to you about something else. But now, and that's why he says, but now, brothers, and of course he's talking about sisters there too. But now. And so you see the, the verse there, and it talks about chronoi, but now, about the times. Chronoi is, of course, if you see it, it's um, in regard to a duration of time. It's where we get our word chronology from. But seasons, or dates, depending on the translation that you have, um, are the characteristics, the things that make up that time period. He said, of those times and of those things, Paul wrote, I don't need to tell you about it. I don't need to write about it. I told you about these things. But like each of us, um, just like the kids did on that um, field trip, you know, they were pressing me, like, where are we going? And what time are we leaving? And so the Thessalonians, you know, they were human too. We kind of think of, you know, uh, you know, we look at biblical cities and people then and think that they didn't have questions like we have questions. They did. And so Paul was trying to tell them that I already talked to you about this and I don't need to write to you about this, um, but they press for these, these, special, um, these special details. And so he, he, you see, of course, those words, and karoi, of course, means seasons. And, of course, we talked about that verse, 2436. You know, no one knows about that particular time, not anyone. And that should put to rest anyone in the past or anyone in the present who's thinking about um, coming up with an exact date, day, and time. Now, please understand this. Paul instructed them on the general time. General time we can know about. But as far as the exact time, we, we, we will not know. We will not know. So... Just a couple of verses about this day of the Lord, and um, if I may, in fact, well, let's, let's talk about this. That's the meaning, and of course, a couple of those verses. I won't read all those verses, but just a few, and uh, you could write those down. I'll take Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Now, the prophets had a lot to say about the day of the Lord. And listen to these, because it's very ominous. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house 
and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm of my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in the ages. Maybe just one more. Uh, Zephaniah, uh, verses 14 through 16. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a cloud, a, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. This is a very serious day. Uh, Revelation 6, verses 16 and 17, called it uh, a day of wrath of the Lamb. Uh, Isaiah 61, verse 2, it's a day of vengeance of our God. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it's called the time of, of Jacob's trouble. This is going to be a dreadful time, a dreadful time for those who have to endure it and those who will be here. And so, this, these are the conditions that are surrounding it. So, this is just a little review Day of the Lord will be a lengthy time period, including both judgment and blessing. It will begin soon after the rapture. It will conclude with a seven-day tribulation, the return of the Messiah, the millennium, and the making of the new heavens and the new earth. And this contradicts any view that some may have that the, great, that the rapture of the church is going to occur, occur after we have to endure the great day of the Lord. That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. And so... Let's think about the manner. And if you take a look at verse 2, the manner, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. Now, when you think about that, a thief in the night, it's a, and let me just say this too. Um, there's going to be a great deception here. And, and that's why Paul wrote down um, when he talked about this. He talked about the manner in which he comes as a thief. Um, if the Lord comes as a thief in the night, for those who were here, what did he come for us for? Did he come as a thief? Will he come as a thief? You all know that answer. Uh, uh, no. The Lord is the bridegroom. He comes for his bride. He doesn't come as a thief. We're not expecting him to come as a thief. We're anticipating his arrival. We're going to meet him in the air, as the Scripture tells us. We're waiting for him. We're waiting for the blessed hope that we have, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not how he comes for those who don't know him. He comes as a thief. And think about what we do with thieves. What do we do with our homes? We lock our doors. We double lock our doors. And then we check to see if we've locked them again. I'll talk about my son, Anthony, who's great with that. You know, he's got to do it seven, eight times before we go. So. It's, just part, it's part of the obsession, but that's okay. I, I like it because we know the doors are going to be locked if he's home for sure. Um, but what do we do? We put in security systems. We put in cameras. We put lights around our homes in our driveway. So if anyone comes in, you know, those lights, and they, you know, they pop, because we don't want that thief to come in. Think about uh, car dealerships. Do you ever see car dealerships uh, with the lights off? No, those, light, those lights are on those parking lots because they have cameras there because if anyone comes in, they're going to want to know who that is. So that's as far as um, Jesus, he doesn't come as a thief for the believer. He comes as a thief for those who are not expecting him. Now, thieves don't make appointments to come to your house. You know, you don't say, oh, listen, you know what, I'll be out. I'm, I'll be at work, uh, you know, from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. You're welcome to come in. We don't invite them. And they don't make an appointment. They don't throw a card and say, oh, I'll be in at, you know, like public service sometimes. We missed you, you know, and, you know, and for the gas meter. And uh, they don't do that. So this is what happens. He, he, this is, the day of the Lord is going to come unexpectedly, like a thief would come unexpectedly, suddenly, uh, with no announcement. And think about that. Thieves work best at night. 
They come, they, they come to destroy, they come to bring loss, and so will it be when they're in the day of the Lord. This will be a dark night. This will be a dark night, not a night, a long period of time. This is going to be one of the darkest periods in the history of our world. And uh, it'll happen, and except for when Christ comes, for that, there'll be that thousand-year pause when he reigns on the earth during the millennium. And so we go to verse 3 uh, quickly. If you take a look at and this is going to be a time when people are saying, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. And uh, this, is, uh, this is not going to be a time of peace and safety. And think about it. This, it then, then destruction comes. And suddenly, as, uh, as a woman who was with child, about to be born, then they will not escape. You know, the word say there, I, I do want to bring this up, and it talks about, um, let me just move to another verse here. For when they say peace and safety, the word say is in a continuous present tense. It's not that they said it, that they're saying it, and they're continuing to say it. Again, the church is not going to be here. And so they're continuing to say, oh, we've got peace and safety, peace and safety. It's continuous. And there's, it's continuous, and there's no thought of the coming trouble that's coming, no thought of the fact that the wrath of God may be poured out upon them. I no doubt think, and again, this is just me, and from what I've read, uh, perhaps during this time in the world, the man of sin, the lawless one, maybe the Antichrist will be on the scene. You know, people are clamoring for a one-world leader, you know? Those who are unhappy with our government or unhappy with someone, someone in another country, uh, they want one. Well, we should have just one leader for the whole world. And that's what's going to happen. And for three and a half years, there will be peace and safety in that tribulation period. There will be for three and a half. But then, at the midpoint, then it breaks loose. The wrath of God will truly pour it out. You know, I think at that time they say peace and safety. They're thinking, well, you know, the, the world is breathing this big sigh of relief. Oh, great. Hey, we got the Christians out of here. That's great, right? That's probably thinking that. Uh, we've got this wonderful man who's lead, or woman who is leading us. I think it's a man. I, I mean, I, I, that's what the scripture talks about. And let's, let's, let's say it a leader, man or woman, who could it be? I think it's a man of sin. I could be a, 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 per, a, a, a male leading this whole world, and, but it's going, to be, it's going to be the renation of the world because when people are saying peace and safety, peace and safety, then destruction comes. You know, later on, the speaker in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 will we'll bring this up sure, surely. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, take heed that no man deceive you. See, this is going to be a time of great deception. This is the lie. Great deception, great delusion. And um, there aren't going to be any warnings. There aren't going to be any warnings. Um, There's going to be this, uh, I guess you would say, this this wrath of God that is going down that people are just not going to be prepared for. Um, And and when you think about that, I, 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 I shudder at it. I'm just glad that I'm not going to be part of it. And if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be part of it either. That's the blessing part of this message. That's the blessing part. And so when you, it, Paul's description here is quite, is quite interesting. Because when you think about it, how, are these, how is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? This destruction. This destruction is going to come. It's going to come suddenly. That word dest- destruction there means ruin. It means ruin. They're going to say there's going to be this ruin. And this ruin is going to happen. It's going to come upon them all of a sudden uh, without warning. Now, you have to understand this too. God has warned people and countries and uh, believers throughout Scripture. Think about Noah. Uh, I mean, God said that there was going to be a coming flood, and only what happened? Only eight people were saved, Noah and his family. Think about Lot. Lot warned his family that Sodom was going to be destroyed got destroyed. Jesus, during his own time when he was here, he warned, he told, he told the Israelites, he told them, he said that there's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. And what happened? In 70 AD, Jerusalem fell. So Jesus and the word has warned uh, those throughout uh, the years about coming 
um, ruination, if you will, destruction. He has warned them. You know, it would be foolish for us to think that after 2,000 years, and just because Jesus has not occurred, has not come back, if you will, um, for 2,000 years, that he's not coming back at all. Because some would scoff at that. See, because our timetable is not the Lord's timetable. In 2 Peter, uh, the Bible tells us that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So when you think about it, in the Lord's thinking, he's only been away for a couple of days. Think about it, if that's, and that's so. But look at the description. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. You know, I, it amazes me how doctors, I guess it's the obstetrician, is that the person? Who can predict, who they, they, you know, when a woman comes and they, now the woman is going to have a child, they can predict that exact date when that child is going to be born. And some children are born on that exact date. Anthony, October 2nd, that was the day. You came right, you know what? And that's him all over. He's very punctual. I mean, it's unbelievable how that is like set in, in stone. Like, it's just amazing. It's just, he came, but there are others that it doesn't, it's not 100% foolproof. But one thing I, I don't think that doctors can pinpoint is is the exact day, the exact date, day, hour, even minute, when labor pains come on a woman who is with child. I don't think they've done it, right? I mean, it, for those of you who had children recently, you weren't standing there bracing and watching the clock because the doctor said at 11.45 on July 22nd, the labor pains are coming. So you're not like sitting there bracing yourself. for the No, you don't know. They come on suddenly. And when they come on suddenly, they come on with great intense pain. In fact, the Greek word there, and I put that up there, um, is the word sorrows, and it means birth pangs or labor, labor pains. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be so sudden. In fact, one, many of the preachers that I've read about who, who, in, in preparing for this message, and some of the commentators had this to say about labor pains, and I thought it was really good. The world is experiencing labor pains of sorts. The world is suffering from the labor pains of evil from the labor pain of sin, from the labor pain of unbelief, the labor pain of some apostasy and even a greater apostasy of falling away, which is going to occur in the future. It will then be judged like never before. Now the question arises, am I expecting the Lord to come for me in this way? Or am I going to be held accountable for that? Well, you don't have to be. If you've got a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you received him, asked him for forgiveness of your sins, Live the rest of your life for him and putting him first, well, you don't have anything to worry about. So the question is, is it going to be expectation or is it going to be condemnation? And that's a question you have to answer. And so we get to the message of the Lord and what Paul wants us to, uh, to learn. As I mentioned, the rapture ends the day of grace. It's a calling about, out of the people for his name. He brings us to glory, all his sons and daughters, and Christ to be with him. And then there's this dreadful day of the Lord, this dreadful day of the Lord. In verses 4 to 8, we see differences and contrasts, sharp contrasts between what it is for believers and for those who are in unbelief at this time, this dreadful day of time. And if you take a look at it, look at the contrast and how it is. I mean, he talks about for those who are left behind, they're going to suffer pain and anguish, catastrophic calamity and judgment unlike ever before. If you take a look at verse 3, he changes the pronouns. He goes from they and them to we, you, and us in verses 4, 5, and 6. And here are the contrasts. He contrasts light with darkness in verse 5, day and night in verse 5, sleep and being awake in verse 6, soberness and drunkenness in verse 7, and destruction and deliverance from verse 2 all the way through verse 9. This day, as he says... Brothers, you are not in darkness. This day should not surprise you. It should not overtake you like a thief, because we're not in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. We have come out of darkness, 
And into his marvelous light, the Bible says. We walk in light as he is in the light, the Bible says. We are sons and daughters of light. We are sons and daughters of the day. This is all in the scripture. And that was the message Paul had for the Thessalonians, and that is the message that Paul certainly has for us. Here's a little quote from G.G. Finley. He said, by a common Hebrew idiom, a man is said to be a son of any influence that determines or dominates his character. So the question arises again, who has determined your character? Who dominates your character? Who influences your character? If, you're, if it's the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not in darkness. It's amazing when you become to the Lord how all of a sudden things become known. Things you had no idea, things that you were kind of asleep at, all of a sudden we come to find out. We have been translated from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own son, the Bible tells us. Here's something I found, too, that I'd like to share with you. It says, someone wrote this, When the thief comes to this world's night, the saints will be dwelling in eternal light. And praise the Lord for that. In verse 6, he goes on with these contrasts, and he talks about, Let us not be like others who, are falling, who have fallen asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. When you think about sleep... Now, he's not talking about sleep like he was in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Remember, he's talking about those who had fallen asleep. In other words, those who had died before the coming of the Lord. He's talking about real sleep here, those who are asleep. And, it's, and, and the word sleep there has something, I think, a different definition. I think it means being asleep to biblical realities, being asleep to spiritual things, spiritual realities. You ever notice how some people can sleep despite all the things that are going around them. And Armin is like not in your head because that's me. But, uh, you know, they could sleep for some unknown reason, you know, at any time. It doesn't, and they're so unaware of their circumstances. I want to give you three real quick. Napoleon Bonaparte. Maybe you covered that in history, I hope. Napoleon Bonaparte, with all the wars he was involved in, uh, you would think that, he had no time for sleep. But actually, it turns out that he loved a good nap, even with the sounds of battle around him. And he was renowned um, for his ability to seemingly sleep regardless of the chaos of the artillery that was going on. In fact, one of his biographers wrote, Napoleon slept even during the action and completely in range of enemy's cannonballs. And it was time to sleep, he slept. <laughs> then there was Ned Young, you remember the mutiny on the bounty, the, the infamous mutiny on the bounty? Ned Young, that was in 1789. It's a true story, of course. He was a young midshipman on that, on that ship. Apparently, um, they mutinied because Captain William Bly uh, repeatedly beat some of the crew members. And, of course, uh, you probably remember this, Master's mate Fletcher Christian, what he did was he relieved Young of his watch that night. Young went to sleep. In the meantime, they took over the ship. So when Young woke up later on, he found somebody else in control. He slept through the whole mutiny and all of the chaos that had happened there. You know, that meant getting Captain Bly out and put him on a, on a, on a boat and all that kind of thing. And then there's, this is, this is a good one, Douglas Spedden. He was a little boy who slept during the sinking of the Titanic. His parents, Frederick and Daisy, brought on a voyage a private nurse, Elizabeth Burns, to take care of him. When the parents heard the sounds of the engines grinding and feeling the shock of the impact of the iceberg, they went to find out what happened and what they found, that the ship was already tilting. Young Douglas slept through the collision. The nurse woke him up briefly to bring him to a lifeboat. And at that point, he fell back to sleep again. And then all Burns had told him is, we're going to see the stars. And he believed her, and then he snored away, through the whole time while he was in the boat. The next, next day, he got up, and he said, oh, look at the beautiful North Pole without Santa Claus on it. And miraculously, the family survived uh, the sinking of the Titanic, and later a distant relative discovered a book. It was written by Douglas's mother, Daisy, uh, for him to recount the sinking of the Titanic through the eyes of a stuffed polar bear that he had. And the name of the polar bear was Polar. In fact, the book was published in 1994, a lot of literary acclaim, 
and success asleep during these, these things. And that's what... See, Paul exhorts us to be on constant watch. Again, there's a lot of present tenses here in, in, this, in this portion of Scripture. He tells us to be in the state of readiness, to be mindful of, to be careful of, to be vigilant of the Lord's coming, to be on guard, to be ready, not to be complacent. Don't be complacent with the Word of God. Don't be careless with the Word of God. Don't be uh, idle with the Word of God. And don't certainly, don't be uh, idle to the trappings that, that will occur. In fact, Jesus said to his, his disciples, uh, Matthew 24, 42 to, to 44, but one of the things he did say that in regard to his coming, he said that they should be alert for his coming, that to be alert for his coming. So let's watch and be sober. Let's go, let's keep that. Let's watch and be sober. You know, there's a lot, take a look at verse 7, because he talks about being asleep, and he talks about those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk are drunk at night. You know, there's a lot of forms of drunkenness. Of course, you know, when you speak about drunkenness, you talk about being intoxicated. We know that. But there's a lot of other influences that intoxicate one's, one's person, if you will. There's the intoxication of power. There's the intoxication of being drunk with the pleasures of this world. Money, status, all those kinds of things. All these things dull our spiritual senses. Just as alcohol dulls the spiritual sense, uh, the physical senses of someone. And that's what he's talking about there. Uh, let's not, um, and here's the, there's, there's I, I wrote this and I, I don't mean to be irreverent, but I feel that the world People are drunk on the world's spirits, but they're certainly not drunk on the Holy Spirit. They are, and you know that. You see the world around you. You read the news. You see all the things that happen. You know, it's, it's always, guess what happened today? Guess what I heard on the news today? It's always something, and it's, sometimes it's never good. And John, in this gospel, uh, the gospel according to John, wrote this, John 3.19, and this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Paul reminds us to be watchful and to be sober, to be self-controlled, to keep our appetites of the world in check. He tells us that we are sons and daughters of the day, and that there are tremendous things about to take place, both positively and negatively. The positive part is if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we got something to look forward to. If you're not, then... I, 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 am, I, I don't want to be remiss in saying this. I, I believe that the whole counsel of God is, is a warning sometimes. Warn to, to turn your heart over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you be there when he comes back? We're going to move along to verse 8, and we're going to be through in a couple of minutes here. But if you take a look at this, he talks about uh, you belong to the day. Be self-controlled. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, when you think about this, Paul understood this concept. He uses this in military terms. Paul was a citizen of Rome, and he was familiar with Roman, the Roman uniform and all the equipment that went with a Roman uniform. In fact, he wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, and he, and he talked about putting on the, the whole armor of God, and that whole armor of God was in great detail. And so Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. All three of these virtues, by the way, were mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. What does a breastplate do? It covers the chest, doesn't it? And it, that covers the heart and the vital organs. And what does the helmet do? The helmet covers the head. And with the head, it's the brain and the mind. And in the tense here, he tells us to put it on, and that tense is the aorist tense. It's different than the present tense. It's a once and for all act. In other words, he's saying, put your armor on and leave it on. Don't take it off. Just as a soldier in the field would never take his or her helmet off or the um, vest that they wear now, the protective vest, they would never take that off. And Paul, in Ephesians 6, talked about 
the armor of God from an offensive standpoint. Here he's talking about it from a defensive standpoint. And, and the reason is because we have to defend ourselves against the evil one, the wiles of the devil. And faith, the breastplate of faith, keeps us alert, ever mindful on the Christ that we loved because we walk by faith. The love is because it speaks of the heart, having a heart for God and being watchful and being sober, sober-minded and self-controlled. The hope of salvation, when you think about this metaphor, what does the, what does the helmet do? It guards our mind, and that's where we, it, 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 it guards our thought life. Our thought life, can get a, get, if we're not careful, can really get ahead of us. And you know what I'm talking about. We all, we all can admit that. We can't be intoxicated by the world's um, pleasures and sin. Not that we can't have fun. Not, that, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about sin and allurement of sin to the detriment of one's salvation. So that's what he's talking about. And then he talks about the encouragement. Uh, the encouragement. And the encouragement is this, because here's the good part. Remember, I, I, yes, the day of the Lord is an ominous day. It is a dreadful day. It is coming. Destruction like we've never understood in the whole history of the world. It's coming. But not for the believer, because we are not appointed to wrath. We are not appointed to wrath, because we have a sin substitute. Here's another. For God does not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to take a look at that little preposition there. But for obtaining salvation, God and for wrath, in other words, it hasn't been assigned to us. There's no place there. It's not, it's not part of our, our being. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, For God demonstrated his love toward us, and that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. But the second part, much more than... Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved, and here it is, from the wrath through him. The wrath to come. John Wolverine, I love the way he put this. He said, what Paul's expressly saying about the day of the Lord is that our appointment is to be caught up to be with Christ. The appointment of the world is for the day of the Lord, the day of wrath. One cannot keep both appointments. It's, it's plain and it's simple. There's going to be judgment upon the earth, judgment upon the Gentile nations, judgment upon Israel, so Israel would finally recognize her Messiah, and judgment upon those who will be left behind here on this earth. Those are the aspects of that. Christ died for us. That's, again, I love these little prepositions, because in the Greek it means on behalf of. On behalf of. And whether we... Wake, meaning if we're alive at the time of the rapture, or whether we are uh, dead, where it says we uh, or sleep, and that's where it means where we we have um, passed. Whether we're alive, or waiting for him or not, we're going to be caught up with him. We're going to live with him forever, and that is the blessing about this particular um, about this particular passage. Let's conclude. Paul concludes by saying, encourage one another, exhort one another, build up each other in this fact. Are we doing that? Are we comforting one another with this fact? Binding up and building up. Binding up encourages one another. Here, we work as a team for the kingdom, encouraging one another in the faith, building each other up through the word of God. These are the things that Paul was talking about. These are the things he was talking about. There is a great and terrible day of the Lord coming. I know these are some graphic descriptions, and who knows, that's what I think it would be like. But in the meantime, the question arises again. And there's some other actions that you can do while you're waiting for the Lord. It's verses 11, uh, 12 through 22. I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter. But it's, what do we do as we wait on the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you live with an air of expectancy that he's coming today? Or is he going to overtake you as a thief in the night and destine you for judgment? Have you been made ready to go to heaven to meet the Lord? Someone asked Martin Luther one time about how he lives. And he said, very simply, he said, I live as though Christ died yesterday, rose today, 
and is coming tomorrow. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I'm going to end with this one last story. You know I love stories. The gentleman that you see there is Sir Ernest Shackleton. He was an English explorer. He was born in Ireland, and he had voyages to the South Pole. He wanted to be the first to reach the South Pole. Uh, unfortunately, he, he got ill. He had to go back to England, and he wasn't able to do it. But there's this episode that happened. He had to leave his men back there on Elephant Island in Antarctica. And he had the intention of coming back to, to, to get them. But he was thwarted more than one time. And in fact, I think that if I read this correctly, they, was, they stood on that island for 400, over 400 days waiting for him to come back in Antarctica. And if you take a look at that ship, that's what it looks like in Antarctica. Finally, on one, of, one other attempt, like a fourth attempt, he broke through a narrow channel. And to his surprise, he found the crew waiting for him, their supplies packed, and they were ready to board back to England. So we asked him, how did they know he was coming that day? And they replied, they didn't know that, that he would return that day, but they were sure that he would return. They were sure that he would return. Because every morning, the group's leader rolled up his bag, packed up his gear, and told them to do the same, saying, get your things ready, boys. He may come today. Question is, are you prepared and planning on a voyage for all eternity? Are you looking forward to that great <clears throat> anticipation, the expectation of the Lord? He's coming. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be alert. He wants us to be watchful. Will it be expectation and anticipation, or will it be condemnation? That choice is yours. Let's pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to open up your word. It is our prayer that each and every one here we come to the realization that the Lord is coming back. Your dear son is coming back just as he promised. I pray for those who are here that they would be ready, that they would be watchful, they would be sober-minded and expecting the Lord Jesus Christ to come at any moment. Yes, we, we pray, even now, come Lord Jesus. Pray for a time when he will be here, when he, we will meet him in the air and to ever be with the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know he does not come as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, but he comes with a shout and with a voice and with the trump of God. So I pray for those who... Uh, who have accepted that, who have turned their life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, ask for forgiveness of their sin to ever be with the Lord. And I pray too, Father, for the one here who may not know you. I pray that even though there may be some questions and doubts, that they will put their full faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ before it is too late, before the coming day of the Lord. And we ask these things, Father. In the only name that can ever save, the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.